Around the year 400 A.D., Augustine penned one of the most important documents of early Christendom, entitled Confessions. Thirteen books, each a separate unit, a very personal but also theological autobiography. And Augustine walks through his repentance during this section in the ninth book from his repentance from thievery, habitual lying, graphic sexual sins, and heresies. But at the close of the ninth book, Augustine documents how his mother, Monica, humbly, faithfully lived in submission to her philandering, abusive husband until he finally, late in life, very near to his death, came to repentance and faith. And Augustine mentions almost offhandedly that his mother had prepared to be such a wife by learning submission to her parents as a young girl. This morning in the exposition of scripture, by the way, if you've never been with us before and wonder what is they're doing here, our habit is to preach the whole counsel of God. And the only way we know how to do that is to take New Testament books and preach through them in our morning service and Old Testament books and preach through them in our evening service. So this morning, we're continuing our exposition of 1 Peter in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 3. Tonight, we'll be continuing our exposition of the book of Joshua in Joshua 6, and we hope you'll join us this evening. But the exposition of Scripture you'll hear this morning is just the next text in our exposition of of Peter. It is our 22nd sermon in 1 Peter. And it will go counter to what you hear six days a week in the world. That's why that's called worldly wisdom, by the way. And you are commanded as a believer to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Much of that mind renewal that God calls you to is to happen under the careful preaching of the Scripture. So in this hour, I hope that you will give yourself over to exalting the triune God and his wisdom and mortifying the values of the world. Now, just so you'll know what Peter is doing, when we open 1 Peter 3, I hope you'll be looking at it because if, if you don't have the text in front of you, you're going to be saying, this is a crazy man up here. The things he's talking about in these first six verses, unless you look and see, oh, Carl is doing nothing but trying to explain and then apply the very word of God. And so you'll need to have 1 Peter 3 before your eyes. And Peter is engaged in what musicians would call variations on a theme. He began this theme in 1 Peter 2 by telling believers to submit to the civil magistrate that God has placed over them. And then he continued in 1 Peter 2 by telling slaves to submit to masters. Now, in our text, in 1 Peter 3, Peter will give an apostolic mandate to married women to submit to their husbands. And what Peter is teaching, I hope you recognize as this theme expands, what Peter is teaching is the concept of an ordered society. That the same God who brought order out of chaos in creation desires order in all relationships. Unlike the cultural situation that existed in the time of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to instruct us to stand against the world's teaching. Let's ask for that now. O sovereign Lord, your word is perfect. Restoring the soul. 
making wise the simple, enlightening the eyes of the blind. Your word is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who humbly believes. But we by nature are blind. We desperately need the illuminating work of your Holy Spirit. So we ask that you would send him in power to us now to enlighten us, to give us a teachable and humble heart, free from pride and worldly wisdom. Sanctify us in this hour through this word. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Ladies, I will be speaking to you today, and I would almost, the men not be here in this hour. I would almost rather have just ladies allowed here. But I'll be speaking to you this morning. You'll notice the text in verses 1 through 6 is directly focused to you. Men, I'll be talking to you next week. Now, what you'll notice is for somebody who's keeping score and count on verse number, you're saying, I don't like this already. Because what I'm seeing is there are six verses that speak to women's role, and there's only one that speaks to men's role. I don't like it. I don't like the weightiness of this. Well, if you will remember years ago, and it has been years ago when we looked at Ephesians 5, the admonition to men took up about six verses, and the admonition to women took up one. And so what you see is is the balance of Holy Scripture. But who I will be talking to this morning, and I want to be very super laser-focused precise, I'll be speaking to converted women regenerate married women. Peter's instructions about marriage will not benefit you if you're not a believer, not in the least. In fact, they'll not even make sense to you. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, the subject of submission in marriage is not an unusual subject in the New Testament. In fact, it is repeatedly raised in the New Testament. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. He does it again in Titus chapter 2, where he tells mature Christian women, and this should be happening organically in the life of Woodruff Road. There in Titus 2, Paul tells mature Christian women to regularly teach younger Christian women who are immature in the faith to be obedient and submit to their own husbands. And then again in Colossians 3, Paul commands, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And now we have Peter adding his voice in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. The reason why this is stressed, I hinted at it a moment ago, is God has an order for his world. And a believer wants to see that order implemented, installed, and has no interest in establishing his own order. You know that this is the mandate for wisdom, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. In other words, God says his wise way is good for us and good for society. The believer understands that all things are to be done decently and in order, since God is the God of peace and not of confusion. Now let me give this text its proper weight. This context is meant to be one of the pivotal texts in all of the Bible 
for establishing gender roles inside the family. Did you hear that? This text is meant to be one of the weightiest, perhaps the weightiest text in all of the Bible for establishing gender roles inside the family. It cannot be explained away dispensationally by those who would say, well, I don't think this applies to me. It's not an Old Testament text. This happens after the the new covenant has been inaugurated. It's written to Gentile believers. It's written to people who are in the exact same phase of redemptive history that you and I live in right now. It can't be explained away on shaky interpretive grounds. Clarity of intent is beyond question. But there's a reason why many pastors are wary, if not just downright fearful, of expounding this text. It's because of the tidal wave of feminism that has swept over the church over the last 175 years. In fact, it's exactly 175 years that swept over the church and the culture. Feminism came into the public eye in our nation 175 years ago, 1848, when Elizabeth Stanton penned a manifesto called A Declaration of Sentiments, which presented a list of grievances against men in a male-led society. One of the primary targets of this manifesto was the biblical teaching of a wife's submission in marriage. That first movement was known as first wave feminism. In the last 60 years, we have lived through second and third and now fourth wave feminism, and each time it's become more extreme and more unbiblical. Now, the working premise, in case you've lived somewhere like under a rock, the working premise of contemporary feminism has been there should be no distinctions made between men and women in their, in their roles and has scathingly denounced any definition of gender roles, any hierarchy, unless it is simply to have women ruling in the church, home, and state. I'd love this morning to engage in a full-blown critique of feminism and show how incredibly unbiblical it is, but I'm going to stay focused. That's not my task this morning. Feminism, though, as a formal movement, has only formally codified what has been the state of things since the fall. This has been women striving against God's order has been the case since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the garden. In Genesis 3.16, the Lord, while naming the fallout from the fall, For men, women, and the serpent, the Lord turns to Eve and says to her, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What is the woman's desire in Genesis 3? My old professor, O. Palmer Robertson, rightly said, the woman's desire is to have a desire to dominate Her long-time will will be to control her man. God pronounces a curse, still Robertson, over the woman because of a situation that arose originally because she usurped her husband's prerogative. Now her curse will be that she'll habitually display this tendency towards her husband. The curse of marital imbalance settles into the woman's lifestyle. She'll attempt to dominate her husband, and he'll respond by dominating her excessively. Instead of seeking right relationships, feminism has glorified what God has cursed. Feminism, by the way, contemporary American feminism, is not the first social movement that sought to undermine gender roles. Plato, in his Republic, 450 years before Peter wrote, and Karl Marx, 
175 years ago in the Communist Manifesto, proposed the abolition of family and especially gender roles between men and women. The problem for the Christian is this. Submission is a thread that runs throughout the Bible, just the principle of submission itself. In the civil sphere, submission is commanded to the magistrate. We saw it several weeks ago when we looked at 1 Peter 2. In the church, submission is commanded to elders in Hebrews 13. In the home, children are commanded to submit to parents. There are organizations that can only function if submission is in place. The, the military comes to mind, and I'm going to be fascinated to see how much longer can the military hang on. In the military, you have the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which lays out hard lines of submission. In subordination, the sub there is the same sub in submission. In subordination is an offense. When a lower officer willingly dis- disobeys the lawful order of a superior officer, or treats with contempt or is disrespectful in deportment or language towards a superior officer and is punishable by court-martial. So let's ask the question, since this text is all about submission. Is submission important? Ladies, will it matter at all if you don't submit to your husband? Well, the essence of Adam's sin was non-submission. And that sin of non-submission to God plunged the whole human race into sin, misery, and death. The essence of Satan's fall, according to Isaiah 14, was non-submission. And Jesus commands all believers to submit to him and take his yoke. Now, roll up your sleeves with me and let's look at the text together. All of that is just background. Now, I will tell you, in writing and preparing the sermon for men for next week, I'm promising you, next week, just the introduction will be the longest introduction I've ever preached in 2,700 sermons. So men, get prepared for a lengthy introduction next week. That was a short one this morning. So let me tell you, as you stare at the text, what the text is not saying. When you read these words in verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husband. Let me tell you a few things the text is not saying. The text is not saying that women are somehow constitutionally inferior to men. There's an analogy here to relationships in the Trinity. There is no subordination in the Trinity as to person. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. There is absolute equality as persons. But there is a subordination in the Trinity as to roles and function. Jesus is equal to the Father in person, but subordinate in role. That's why he says things like John 5.30, I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So the text is not saying that women are inferior to men. The text is not saying, and listen carefully, I've had to explain this to people who wanted to be bossy to my own wife and my own daughter. The text is not saying that a wife needs to be in submission to all men. Look carefully at verse 1. Let's be straight on this forever, now and forevermore. Peter clearly asserts that wives are to be subject to their own husbands. According to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, a subordinate in the military has to be subordinate to and obey the the orders of all superior officers from any branch of service. That's not what our text is saying here. 
a wife only must submit to their own husband. So ladies, if some man in this congregation is being bossy with you, say, talk to my husband. Another thing the text is not saying. This text is not saying that a wife must submit to a husband's unlawful directives. I think of husbands who have ordered their wives, and I've pastored women who have been in this hard situation. I think of husbands who have ordered their wives to disconnect from the church and worship and the Lord's Day, or husbands who commanded their wife to lie for them. Ladies, if your husband asks you to do something that directly violates one of God's moral laws, you can say no. In fact, you must say no. Just like the Hebrew midwives of Exodus 1 when they were commanded to commit murder, or Peter and John in Acts 5 when they were told to stop preaching Christ, and they rightly said, we must obey God rather than men. Or when Sarah asked, was asked by Abraham to lie in Genesis 12, she should have said no. One more thing the text is not saying. The text is not saying that a wife must think her husband is infallible. I submit in the civil realm to my civil magistrates, and I certainly know that the governor and the president and judges are fallen men and they're not infallible. Just the same, a wife knows that her husband is not yet glorified and therefore perfect, but she submits to him because this is God's design and order. So what is the text saying? Let me tell you six things that the text is saying about submission. By the way, submission is the Greek word hupotasso, and that word there, hupotasso, is used of Jesus' submission to Joseph and Mary as a young boy. Six things that we mean by biblical submission. First of all, this submission must be voluntary. Nowhere uh, does the Bible teach that it is a husband's job to force his wife into submission. It doesn't teach that. The Bible clearly teaches that it is the wife's voluntary responsibility to make herself submissive. The second thing that the text is saying is this submission is to be continuous. The Greek verb is in the present continuous tense. Submission is not just in the first years, but you hit 40 or 45 and you've been married for 25 years and you think, I'm too old for this sort of thing. It's not just for when the kids are small or you're young. You never outgrow this role. I'll, I'm going to make some applications about this later, but let me go ahead and say this. It is very unseemly for a Christian woman to say, yeah, I used to do that with a smirk and a cynical look. Yeah, I did that. didn't work for us. Christian woman should be known by her progressive sanctification. She should be more submissive in her 20th year than she was in her 10th year. That's the evidence that she's growing in grace. A third thing that submission is, it's mandatory, not optional. The verb is in the imperative in verse 1. A wife's submission is not to be conditioned by her husband's talents or wisdom or education or even his spiritual state. It is commanded by God. The fourth thing that submission is. It's a spiritual matter. Paul says in the parallel text in Ephesians 5.22, it is to be done as to the Lord. Spirituality is a concrete thing. Do you want to demonstrate your love and obedience to Christ? Submit to your husband. A fifth thing that submission is. It's a matter of 
attitudes as well as actions, perhaps even more a matter of attitudes than of action. Jesus was thoroughly submitted to the Father. He says in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. But how did he submit? Did Christ go about the earth with resignation and heaviness and groaning and scowling and smirking? No, he submitted with joy. This command strikes at our attitudes. This, by the way, is addressed in the parallel text when Paul says in Ephesians 5 that the wife must respect her husband. Respect is an attitude. Respect is what men need, and and God commands you, the Christian wife, to be the chief source of respect for your husband. Just as you, a Christian wife, need to be sacrificially loved, and we'll deal with that next week. So your husband needs to be respected, and God commands you to be about that. Respect is verbal in the way that you speak about your husband, not telling everyone about his faults and weaknesses. Respect is verbal in the way you speak to your husband, not sarcastically or in a commanding tone like you would with your children. If you respect him, you'll seek to honor him and please him above all others. A sixth thing this text is saying submission is, is submission is extensive. How broad is the church's submission to Christ? Well, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5 that the church is to submit to Christ in everything and the wife is to submit to the husband in everything. So this means if submission is extensive, it falls over into your parenting. That a wife cannot say, well, when he's not around, I'll discipline the children how I want. I'll have my standard in place. Even in times of disagreement especially in times of disagreement. Submission, ladies, means bending your will to that of another. What does unsubmissiveness look like? We don't need much help in knowing this. It means not implementing child discipline like my husband has directed. Oh, Carl, he's just too harsh. I'm the good cop when he's the bad cop and not around. Or refusing to stay within a budget. I know my husband told me that these are our financial limits, but that's what I want. Or taking counsel and leadership from mom or friends or media culture, in fact, anybody, rather than your husband. It means speaking, unsubmissiveness means speaking ill of your husband, whether it's your mom or sisters or friends. Unsubmissiveness means not seeking to be a helpmate. What keeps Christian wives from submitting? There are at least four things, and I hope you'll look at these very carefully. If you're a note taker, you'll really want to bear down here. By the way, I'm never surprised when unbelieving wives don't submit to their husbands. That's their default setting. Not surprised at all. Lost people are going to act lost. The nature of unbelievers is to disobey the word of God and to hate it. But why would a believing, regenerate woman not submit to her husband? Let me give you four reasons why. Look and see if this is a mirror that you see your face in. The first is fear. Look at verse 5 in our text. Peter writes, For in this manner, or verse 6, says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. The first reason why a Christian wife would not submit is because of fear. This is the wife who's plagued with with paranoia. If I submit to him, what what, what will he do? He may run this house into the ground. Notice that the model in 1 Peter 3, the model of godly womanhood is to put off fear and to trust in God. Ladies, your hope cannot be in this. 
Let me clarify forever. Your hope cannot be in this, that your husband is smart or wise or good, and therefore, only because he's smart and wise and good, therefore you can trust and follow him. But your hope is in this, that the triune God is wise and good, and he says submit to your husband. A second thing that keeps Christian wives from submitting is selfish rebelliousness. Just simply saying, I will not be told by anyone what to do. This usually means the wife who says this, when she says of her husband, I will not be told by him what to do. The same wife will usually be found saying, I know what God says in his word, and I will not be told by him what to do either. A third thing that keeps Christian wives from submitting is contentiousness. It's fascinating how much the Proverbs speak of this problem with Christian women, of the contentious woman. There are some people, men and women both, but in this case we're speaking to women, there are some people who have to debate and get their opinions in. They're outspoken. They need to be heard. They hate the idea of what Peter commands in verse 1. Look carefully at it, ladies. Peter writes, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, here it comes, this weighs 800 pounds, without a word. They, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. This is the the wife who hates these, these texts in Proverbs that speak of the contentious woman who views her husband, it's like she got married to somebody so she'd have a sparring partner. This is the woman who views her husband not as a partner, but as an adversary. Proverbs says in Proverbs 21.9, it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Or in Proverbs 21, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious woman. Or in Proverbs 27, verse 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. It's interesting that Proverbs cleans all that up by the end of Proverbs, and it speaks of the godly woman. She's held in antithesis to the contentious woman. The godly woman in Proverbs 31, she speaks, yes, but we're told when she opens her mouth, It is with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She doesn't want to contend with her husband. Or a fourth reason why that would keep a Christian wife from submitting are excuses. I would submit to my husband if he were the right type of man. Well, the Apostle Paul addresses this head on in 1 Peter 3.1. When he tells believing wives, look carefully at his admonition. Look at the imperative. He tells Christian wives to submit to the wrong type of man. Did you hear that? This excuse loses all weight. Well, I would submit if my husband were the right type of man. Peter says, I'm not even talking to them. I'm talking to women who have the wrong type of husband. And it gives hope, by the way. Look carefully at verse 1. That such husbands will be won to Christ without a word because of their wife's submissive manner of life. Now, if Christian women, look at verse 1. If Christian women are commanded to submit to lost husbands who need to be won, how much more should they submit to believing husbands? Now, I want you to look at the promise. Ladies, you have a promise in verse 1 and 2, and it is an astounding promise. And I would ask you if you are praying the promises. 
This text, by the way, is not so focused on having a satisfying marriage. There are other texts that deal with this. It is teaching specifically believing Christian women how to reach an unbelieving mate for Christ. Do you see this? Peter says you can win your husband to Christ without a word. You don't do it by dragging him to church against his will or forcing sermons down his throat. Don't nag or lecture or scold or criticize. Peter's not saying that conversion can occur without the preaching of the gospel. But the unbelieving husband in our text has already heard the word. Look at verse 1. He's been disobedient to that word. And so now the method that the Lord will use is a consistent life of quiet, godly, submissive conduct from his wife. Now let me tell you as a congregation. We should be praying for women in this congregation who are married to the wrong kind of men. We should be praying for them, for consistency, for patience. We should be praying for the conversion of their husbands. I I went back and I, I carefully logged in each congregation I've served. I have seen unbelieving men come to saving faith because of the witness of their wife. Now, I will tell you my favorite happened in Oklahoma City where we had a woman who had been married to her husband for 45 years. And she finally came to me on a Wednesday night at our prayer meeting. She said, that's it. I'm going to stop praying for Bob because the Lord is obviously not going to save him. And I have my limits. 45 years is long enough. I'm not praying for him any longer. And I said, sister, you can't do that. You have to continue to humbly submit quietly win him without a word and she oh I know he came to saving faith two months later not only that he was elected as a deacon four years later and not only that I buried him at the most glorious Christian funeral six years later ladies don't grow impatient the Lord doesn't move on your timetable and what Peter is saying look at verse one and two I want to push you here What Peter is saying is there will be men, males, entering eternal glory because of their wife's faithful, gentle, wordless submission. Now look at the second command to wives, verse 3. Peter commands wives to win their husbands by their lives and not their looks. Peter gives three examples of outward adornment. Look at them there. Hairstyles, gold jewelry, a fine apparel. Some of you ladies are thinking, if I don't have those three, I got nothing. The first Peter 3 is a practical application of Paul's teaching in Romans 12. When he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, the reason why Peter writes these words, look at them in verse 3 and 4. The reason why Peter speaks of these specific three issues, hairstyles, gold jewelry, fine apparel, is because the cultural trend in the first century among Greek and Roman women was to dress ostentatiously, to draw attention to themselves. Peter's call is to modesty and humility in apparel. This is countercultural. Now, there is nothing woman, nothing wrong with a Christian woman looking attractive. 
But Peter is saying to not dress in a way that promotes worldliness, materialism, or sensuality. It's fascinating, by the way. You can get a small peek into what women's culture was in the first century. When Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 2, he uses the three same exact issues. And he says, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And so apparently this was a problem in the church with women going way overboard on these three issues. Hairstyles, gold, fine apparel. But notice what Peter does. He talks about putting off what to mortify, what to vivify, what to put off, what to put on. Look at verse 4. He says the the Christian woman, instead of concentrating on her outward appearance, according to verse 4, she is to prioritize internal beauty over external beauty. Notice what he tells a Christian woman to focus on. And ladies, here's where you should be honing in right now in verse 4. The hidden person of the heart, incorruptible beauty. In other words, beauty that doesn't wear out, beauty that doesn't get old, of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is in contrast with the loud, boisterous woman who we're treated to all through the book of Proverbs. Now, ladies, let me go ahead and tell you. Inner beauty will not win you social media followers. In verse 4, we're told, though, in God's sight, it is very precious. You can be rich in the world's sight, but cheap in God's sight. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, What will it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world and forfeits his or her soul? What shall a man or a woman give in return for their soul? Life is more than your self-esteem when you look in the mirror. Life is more than the opinions of others towards your posts and pictures. Live and speak and dress in a way that is precious in the sight of God. Now to buttress this argument, look at verse 5 and 6. Peter trots out the historical model. He says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. In other words, she's demonstrating submission and respect. Holy women, godly women, now for well over 3,500 years have always been known by their submission. And Peter uses Sarah as the example. Now, I want to get to application because this is a text that's crying for application. Ladies, I want to make 10 applications of this text. Again, remember, your husband's turn is coming, and I'm planning on making more than 10 applications to him. So just make sure he's here and awake and has had his coffee. 10 applications. Ladies, first of all, I would remind you, I keep repeating, it is your call to willingly follow your husband's leadership. But Carl, I'm a better decision maker than my husband. Well, your good decision making led you to marry a man who's not a good leader. (laughs) So don't look for loopholes to disobey God's word. God is calling you to willingly follow your husband's leadership in every category unless he commands you to sin. Willingly. Second application. This text speaks to cynicism and bitterness about biblical roles. It is painful to be with a married woman who, when she begins to talk about her husband, the scowl, the eye roll, the tone of voice, yeah, 
submit to him. I know I'm supposed to submit to him. Let me remind you the order in marriage that we're speaking of is not my idea. It's not the creation of the PCA. It's not even the creation of a traditional society. It's the holy design of an all-wise God who profoundly loves his children and knows what will bring them maximum joy and incredible peace in the home. And it is this, your submission to your husband. A third application. For those of you ladies who think this command, and it is a command, is harsh and unreasonable and overbearing and given to make your life miserable, let me remind you of what Jesus says about all of his commands. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ladies, every time you think about submission, you should think this is just an easy burden that Christ gives me to carry. It is not too heavy. A fourth application. This, this issue right here that you see, stare at verse 1 and 2, ladies. This is why marriage to an unbelieving man is not only unlawful, but unwise. We're told in 2 Corinthians 6 it's unlawful, but it's also just unwise. Because even if you marry an unbelieving man, you're still commanded to submit to them. Do you see that in the text? And that unbelieving man is not going to strive to love you like Christ loves the church. You can't escape this command by saying, well, I'll just opt out and marry a lost man. No, you'll just have a harder burden to bear then. A fifth application. There are many young women in the congregation not yet married. Let me tell you, tomorrow morning you need to queue up and make a line outside. Well, tomorrow's Labor Day. Wait till Tuesday morning. But on Tuesday morning, you should queue up and make a line outside of Pastor Dodds and Pastor Anderson and Pastor King's door for premarital counseling. This is why it's so vital. Ladies, you should be learning to ask the right question while you're still single. And the right question is not, is he really cute? The right question is not even, does he have great hair? The right question is, can I submit to him for 50 years? Does he have a track record of wisdom and graciousness? Or am I going to marry a man who will drive us straight into a financial, relational, moral ditch? And so one of the things I cannot plead with you enough about is I know so many ladies who have a lot of regret because they got no good counsel. Ladies, we have incredible pastors, deeply trained in biblical counseling. Make use of them. A sixth application. I said it earlier. Submission is not just something for young wives and new wives. It's for women who have been married for 45 years. No matter how long you've been married, you don't outgrow biblical roles. It's the same principle about the tongue. I can't tell you how many people, I've had elderly people who will say to me, well, now I'm 75, I can say anything I want to. Well, where is that written in the scriptures? In fact, the opposite should be true. The longer one walks with Christ, the more guarded and wise his tongue should be. And the longer a Christian woman walks with Christ, the more she should delight in voluntary, willing, humble, quiet submission to her husband. In fact, I would speak to older women and remind you that God speaks to you about this in Titus 2 and says you are to be teaching the younger women of this congregation, 
how to be obedient to their own husbands. The seventh application. Single men, I'll cheat. I said this is all to women. Let me cheat and just slide this in here. Single men, you're thinking of pursuing a wife. How do you know that a Christian, confessing Christian wife, has a heart, heart to humbly follow your leadership? You don't have to guess. How does she submit to her father? If she's always arguing, contending with her dad, run. If she's high maintenance and high drama with her parents, sprint in the other direction. Because how a young woman relates to her parents, especially her father, is a pretty good clue how she'll relate to you. An eighth application, ladies, who say, I can't submit to anyone. Carl, this is 2023. We live in an egalitarian culture. Oh, I consider myself a a follower of Jesus, really more like a partner of Jesus. And I want to be conformed to his image, but I don't want to submit to anyone. Ladies, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you will know that he gladly submitted to the will of another, the Father. And he did so to the death. If you're seeking to be conformed to his image, you will seek to be marked by a life of consistent, joyful submission. And now, ninth, let me get really up in your business and really close. Christian wife, when was the last time you repented of unsubmissiveness? It's obviously a command to submit. To disobey this command calls for nothing less than repentance. When was the last time you went to your husband asking his forgiveness? Went to God pleading for cleansing from him for ignoring his word. When was the last time you repented of cynicism and contentiousness? A tenth application. You're right now looking at this saying, Carl, you don't understand. I I just can't. I'm just not wired this way. I'm not able to submit to him. He's too hard-hearted, and I'm too weak at this. I want to give you hope. The enablement for your submission. When Paul gives the exact same commandment, he does so in Ephesians 5, right after telling believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wives, take hope from this. It is only the person of the indwelling Holy Spirit who can empower you to daily joyfully submit to your husband. But here's the good news. Every person who Christ saves, he sends his Holy Spirit into that person to live a holy life. You've been sold a bill of goods by the charismatic and Pentecostal movement who says the evidence that the Holy Spirit is indwelling somebody is they jump a pew and they roll down the aisle. That's not the evidence at all. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit enables you to obey the word. And so, ladies, you have all the power you've ever needed to obey this command. The same power that brought our Lord Jesus up from the grave is indwelling you, the person of the Holy Spirit. Your submission will not be due to your personality. I've had people say to me, well, Carl, of course she's submissive. She's the submissive type. I'm just not that type. The Holy Spirit works in every kind of type of woman to produce submission. The Lord is calling you to bring order and peace into your home by one simple act 
the act of Holy Spirit-empowered submission, wordless submission to your own husband. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to every aspect of our lives. We pray right now in this moment for believing wives with unconverted husbands, hard-hearted husbands, difficult, tyrannical husbands. We pray that you would give them grace as they lay hold of this word, enable them to silently submit. We pray, though, Lord, that you would, through their witness, do just what you say in this word, that you would save their husbands. We lay hold of your promise that their husbands would be one without a word. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd bring peace and order in our homes where there is now disorder. That it might...